Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. I really loved what Alicia shared this morning. You know, when the joy of the Lord really is our strength, and uh, when you're so much on the battlefield all the time, I mean, we get bombarded weekly with all the needs, the House of Mercy ministry, I think we average about 80 families, they line up usually before 9 o'clock in the morning on Thursdays, wrap around the building. They're here looking for food, help. Our prayer tents are set up, and they come in. And, and uh, man, we prayer ministries, we hear the phone calls that come in. There's just a lot of stuff going on, and there's a lot of people that are struggling right now. And so we get, uh, we get a lot of bombardment, so it's easy to get weighted down with all that. I'm going to share some scriptures where Jesus got weighted down with it. So if you don't think that you can, imagine. Yeah, so it's just sometimes it's just that place. So keeping the joy of the Lord before us is, um, first of all, it's one of the fruits, right? Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, mercy, self-control. So it's a fruit, but we know that the gifts of wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. So when people, they look at you and say, why in the midst of all the mess are you so like, okay? (laughs) That's a really... And if you're not okay, that's the place where you get on your knees and say, Jesus, (laughs) and he comes, and we pick ourselves up and walk with him, and guess what? He takes care of it. So I want to uh, share a couple of things. Last week, I started on it. You could pull out your handout. Watch and pray. I want to go deeper into what Jesus actually did while he was here. Watch and pray. First, let me ask you a question. What are you watching, and what are you praying about? Definition there on your handout, watch is to be vigilantly aware, to be in a state of vigilant awareness. Focus intently, if you like that. So what are you focusing your attention on? And to pray is to be in active, I want to emphasize the active communication with God. So what are you actively communicating with God about, and what are you vigilantly aware of? What are you intently focused on? That's a really good question because it will reveal a whole lot of things about where your heart is, actually. Um, We shared a couple of weeks on what season are we in, and once we know the season, like the sons of Issachar, they were the wise leaders who knew what to do in that season. So let me ask a couple of things that you might have watched this week. In this season, we're supposed to watch. Jesus told us, in fact, I counted it in Matthew 24, 25, and 26. I counted 10 times that Jesus red-lettered said, pay attention, watch and pray, don't be caught unaware. So what should we watch? I mean, that he talks about the season. In fact, I counted there were about uh, 20, well, probably between 14 and 16, depending how you count them, But when Jesus, in Matthew 24, listen what his disciples asked. Remember, he told them that the temple and all that you see, that every stone was going to be knocked to the ground. So they're sitting in front of this gorgeous temple, and the disciples are sitting there with him, and Jesus says, you know that not one stone is going to be left here. And they were somewhat um, impacted by that. They asked an amazing, probably one of the most profound questions, especially the answer to, he says, to Jesus, what sign will signal your return, your second coming, and what sign will signal the end of the world? Does that sound like an important question? When are you coming back, and when's this all going to end? And Jesus then goes through 14 to 16 some odd signs in Matthew 24. They're similarly in Mark 13 and Luke 21. You can count them. Declarations, warnings. But the message there is watch what's going on. You'll know the season. You won't know the day of the hour, right? That's a summary of a couple of weeks ago. And so what happened this week? When you start looking at the landscape, some people say, well, I don't want to look at the landscape. I don't want to be bothered by that stuff. I just want to read the word. Okay. We're all wired different, but I believe that Jesus said, watch for the signs. When you start to see these things, it'll start to do something both in your heart and you can pray. Well, one, we know that the Democratic Party selected a vice president candidate to run. Kamala Harris is going to run with 
the former Vice President Biden. So they, the two parties are now set. I won't go into that when, when I get, I looked for, but this week is the Democratic Convention. When I get both platforms, we'll, we will publish the platforms and we will look at the scripture in between and then you can go before God and decide what you do with it. But as a minimum, you should be registered to vote. And if you're from another state, I have several uh, absentee ballots that you can sign up for now. You have to do it before October. Get signed up, get yourself so you can vote absentee. That's not the, uh, the universal mail-in ballot that's got everybody all wound up. That just, I'll, I'll reserve my opinion on that, but it's not gonna work, it's gonna be a mess. And so if you need an absentee ballot, you come and you pick one of these up, but please get registered to vote. If you've moved since the last time you voted, you need to contact the Board of Elections. We have contact information. In fact, Karen, is. We don't care what party you're at. Jesus is not Republican or Democrat, but we believe that you should register to vote. We're going to make it as easy as possible so you can cast your ballot. So Karen will be here. We'll have the information for you to be able to do that. So that's a big deal. I'm not going to go into that, but we will at some point. The other thing that I think was extremely significant from an international point of view, the United Arab Emirates acknowledged Israel. In fact... Um, it's really incredible what took place this week. The uh, president, you know, uh, Jimmy Carter, when he negotiated that the first time Egypt ended the war, which was in 1979, Anwar Sadat, who was then the leader of, of uh, Egypt at that time, signed a peace accord with Israel, the first Arab nation to ever do that. And uh, President Jimmy Carter, that was one of the major things he got a Nobel Peace Prize for. Now, unfortunately, two years later, uh, some Muslim military leaders assassinated him because of that. Uh, but he still was a forerunner. And then in 1994, the Jordanian King Hussein signed an agreement also. That's the only two Arab nations that have acknowledged the, the legitimacy of Israel to even exist. If you know, follow anything with the other uh, Muslims, especially Iran, they call for the destruction of the little Satan and the big Satan, which is us in Israel, and will not acknowledge. And certainly Hamas and Hezbollah in the north and in the south also are plotting their destruction. But this was a major event. Crown Prince, the UAE leader, uh, if you're not familiar with the United Arab Emirates, um, when I've shipped over there and we've, we've passed through there actually on mission trips, the, uh, they represent 10 million people. There are actually uh, seven uh, different rulers that run, make the conglomeration of that. They are one of the wealthiest nations. If you look at where they sit in the, in the Gulf there, um, the per capita of their wealth due to natural gas and oil, um, they're an extremely wealthy company, uh, country. So for them to acknowledge when uh, Crown Prince Ben Zaid, Mohammed Ben Zaid sat this roadmap down and said, we're going to acknowledge that Israel is now connected to us. That is a major, major significant event. In fact, it is a prophetic word that is, remember what's going to happen if you follow any of the prophecies of the end. There's going to come a time where peace and safety, right now there is no peace and safety there, right? When we've been there, missiles flying out of, uh, out of Gaza, right? And so there isn't any peace and safety currently. They're in a constant state of readiness for war. But there will come a season where peace and safety will come. And then, about three and a half years into it, in the seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to stand up. He's going to violate the treaty. And so, we're, but we're in that place where we're moving in the direction. I don't know how long it will take, but this is a significant step in that process prophetically, and I think it's worthy noting that when we are watching and we're praying, it says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In fact, one of the prayers here in Psalm 122, it says this, he instructs us out of Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and I thank God for this historic answer for prayer. May you who love Israel and seek her peace and her welfare, may you prosper, and may peace and security be increasingly within the walls of Israel. 
It's amazing that our president has called, didn't get a whole lot of press, um, but his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who is Jewish, by the way, he's been negotiating behind the scenes, and the president has called this Abraham's Accords because it unites all three of the major faiths of Abraham, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. They all have their roots in, in Father Abraham. And so the Abraham Accords, they believe what's going to take place is that now these other nations, the other Arab nations around that will start to acknowledge this, and let's forget all this destruction. And so I see the prophetic hand of God on it. That's a major, major event in the midst of what's going on right now. And so as we're watching and praying, there's some other things that we need to watch and pray. And the reason that it's so important, I believe, that you vote and ask Holy Spirit who you're to vote for Right now, it has, uh, singing in church has been banned in one of the largest states in the union. California has now said you are forbidden to sing in church. And in fact, um, it's just crazy, but the L- ACLJ, um, who represents, J- Jay Sekulow is the lawyer, is one of the lawyers that represents uh, Christian freedoms, said, listen, why don't we all band together, in fact, next Sunday, and let's just sing really loud in church. (laughs) You know, we believe believe we're supposed to honor the government when we're doing our best with social distance, but when they come out, when the government comes out and says, don't do what the Word says, you want to count how many times it says, sing your praises unto the Lord, raise up holy hands unto God, when they put that down, the answer is no. We will not comply with that. I'm sorry. We're not going to do it. So on August 23rd, sing a hymn loud. Next Sunday, come on, let's just do it in solidarity. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in California. Like when the crazy leftists come in and start tearing down constitutionally, this is why this, I'm going to get off on a track. I can't do that. Ah, okay. Um, We just need to have religious freedom in this nation and who runs this is, uh, is important. You know, when, when we were asked, actually, the Lord wanted to be the king over Israel. Remember that? And they said, no, no, we want a king like all the other nations. And so he gave him Saul. And how'd that work out? Not too well. When he got into worshiping witchcraft and all that craziness, God said it's, it, it burdened him that he ever made him king. And that's when he raised up David. So who leads nations will determine where your children and grandchildren and the freedoms that they will have. And so it's a very important, well, pastor, you're mixing politics and, and, and religion. Yeah, I sure am. I mean, you show me in this book where that was not mixed in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, he says honor the king, but as soon as the king, we'll get into some of those scriptures. Okay. Ah. So, what are you watching and what are we praying? Let me ask it a different way. What are your top priorities? What's on the top of your priority list? I heard that. God is good. That's the, and obviously you're here, so I know I'm speaking to the choir here, but it's, there's, a, there's a place in the, the top of the list. You know, my grandson, I have three, many of my grandsons, I have so many grandchildren. It's wonderful. But three of my grandsons are into fishing. Yesterday we were out clearing some brush, getting stuff ready at the farm. And, and uh, as soon as we came in, my, one of my grandsons says, do you know what the best bait is for red drum, Papa? I have no idea. Sat down and we start watching a fishing show. We got it. They're into fishing. They come to my house. They, can we go in your tackle box? They pull out all the lures and <laughs> mess it all up. And uh, they're out in the backyard and they're practicing. They're casting, right? catching my bushes, and, and, and so in, their priorities are, they're focused on that. There's a very high attention on it. They've set their mind and their thought. So I don't know what's on your priority list. It could be gardening, exercise, cars, sports, music, family, relationships, money, career, education. What is it that's on the top of your priority list? What are you passionate about? 
What are you passionate about? And you don't obviously know where this is going, right? <laughs> it's okay to have your hobbies and desires. I mean, he tells us, occupy till we come. Enjoy life. The, the whole, we, we're, not just, you know, we're not supposed to go into, I believe, a convent and be monks. There are those that have that call. Bless them. That's not me. And we're, so, we're to enjoy the things that God has given us, right? Enjoy a good meal with friends. Pray. So there's nothing wrong. But when those passions sub become the priority and God becomes the back seat, we've got an issue. We've got a problem. When uh, we were laughing about this, we have our Acts 242 group, and we come together, and we have dinner at our house, and just kind of share, and it's always fun. So it was a Friday night. We were together, and I don't even know how we got on this subject, but we were talking about dating, and uh, my wife's not here, so I should not be getting in too much trouble. She's listening online this morning, and so um, we were remembering, I met my, my wife, we've been married 47 years, I've known the woman for over 51 years, I met her when she was 16, neither one of us drove, I'm a year and a half older, I married a younger woman, and, uh, and so we used to ride bikes, we were in the same school side, right? but do you remember, we were laughing about this, but the Lord said, don't laugh about this, this is, this is where my heart is for this. When, we, when she was 16, I was 17, I kissed her, I was the first guy to ever kiss her on the front lawn of our high school, right there. And she's like, you're the first guy that ever kissed me. I said, wow, that's awesome. And we would drive. I remember we couldn't be married, or we would have been married. We were still married young, 21, 22. But um, when, I went to Bible, when I went to college, you were not allowed to be married in the military school that I was in during the Vietnam War. And so the, uh, we waited for four years, got married on graduation day. I got my diploma, I got my commission in the Navy, and I got my wife all in the same day. It was a full day. It was wild. In fact, my military swordsman, we got married at the fort. The military swordsman, the, we had the ceremony for marriage at the end of the day, and several of my swordsmen had gotten into some of the sauce to celebrate. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. Anyway, it was wild. But we remember shipping out when they, they crushed four, five years of school into four. And so as I was sitting for Coast Guard license, you had to ship out on the summertime. And for six weeks, you'd go to Europe. So we'd be at, the, at Fort Schuyler, State University Maritime College, right there at Throgs Neck Bridge in New York. And we'd load up on the ship, and all the families would come, and all the wives and girls, everybody would come and wave. And we're there like, I'm going to be gone for six weeks. <sighs> six weeks. Oh, my gosh. And she's there, and makeup's running. Bye, bye. And I'm like in my sailor, trying to keep it all together. Bye. Right? And... <laughs> And what are you dreaming about? Can't wait to get home. Can't wait to, right? Now I think of these people that are on deployments for a year. And it's like, right, Javier? It's like, man, when your heart is that, in that place. But what, what I want to, what is it that you're passionate about? You think about the person. When you're in love with them, you think about the person. You think about what they're doing, the activities we've had, what you're planning for the future. How can we do? There's so much passion around that. And God is saying, that's what I want for you and me, to be passionate about him. But there's some real warnings in Scripture about what happened to folks who lost their passion. In fact, let's turn. Turn with me, if you will, in the church at Ephesus in Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 1 in verse 7. The church at Ephesus, this is a, Lord, may this never be here. In Revelation 1, in verse 7, look, here comes with the cloud of heaven and everyone who will see him and those who have pierced him and the nations of the world will mourn for him. There's this waiting. There's this waiting of that desire. And then he says, Revelation 2.4, about this church, he says, I have a complaint against you, church at Ephesus. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look, here's a watch. Watch, or look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come 
and I will remove your lampstand. That's the light. So he tells this church, he addresses the seven churches, which are literal churches in that day, but they're also, the, I believe, the ages that have come since. There's the stages of the church, the church age, which is giving way now, I think, to the kingdom age. But he warns them that you've lost your first love. Remember the Righteous Brothers song? You lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love. When I turn it on, my wife goes, please. Yeah, yeah. And so he's telling us, don't lose your love and feeling. <laughs> You've lost that love and feeling. He says, look, I want you, not only for me, but also for others and the works that you used to do, you no longer are doing them. That's something that indicates what's on your priority list, what's your passion. But then there's another one which you're familiar with. Turn over in the Laodicean church in Revelation 3, verse 14. He says, this is the message to the church at Laodicea. Write this letter to the angel of the church, verse 14. The message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the new creation, God, the new creation. He says, I know all the things that you do. You're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, now this is the part that's really discouraging. They see themselves without any needs. You say you're rich, you have everything, you don't need a thing. You, re you don't realize that you're really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In the South, they think they say naked, right? Verse 18, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Now, I asked the Holy Spirit, how do you buy purified gold from God? Anyone's got an answer, come see me. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of maybe revelatory things about that. How do you buy purified gold from God so that you're no longer wretched, poor, blind, and naked, and you think you've got everything you need? And he says, no, you don't. That ought to, that ought to mess with you. It ought to bring tension into us, especially since this nation is the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth ever. There are more people that even in the most poorest, we've been in some places, those who have been with us, where you talk about poverty, they don't even have a wall in their house. We're just in Costa Rica, right? They got a shower curtain on the backside of their wall. We've been in mud huts in the mountains of Nepal that when a rainy season comes, the walls fall apart. Or how about Kent in Mozambique, the poverty that's there? They couldn't even buy a bar of soap until they bought it for the village during the COVID event. So there's something that ha we have to, we, we think sometimes that we, we've got it. Something, well, I don't have a lot, but we do comparatively. But he's saying, I really would like you to buy purified gold from me. I'm going to share the next three Wednesday nights on the cost of the kingdom there's one of my great friends, and you, some of you know him, uh, Elliot Tepper from Battelle Ministries. In fact, he, I texted him. He's, he goes all over the world, but he's, he's got his main ministry in Spain, and we've been there. He's just invited us back to Spain. So I don't know how that would all come about, but um, we did a breaking free there. But he, he is in 22 some odd nations. Uh, there's about 6,000 heroin addicts and prostitutes that are in their houses, the Casa de Chica, Casa de Hombre houses. My daughter served there after she served in Mozambique with Heidi. And we've been there. And uh, he wrote a book, The Cost of the Kingdom, and I, I'm rereading it, and I'm telling you, it is just leveling my heart. And we're going to look at what is the cost of the kingdom? What is that pearl of great price? What, what, I don't know how we put language to it. I don't, I'm asking the Lord to just bring that revelation because I think we're in a season where where we stand in kingdom is going to make a difference for the future, not only of us and our legacy, but our nation. He tells us, if you look at Revelation 3, the, he finishes that. He says, let me read on. It says, we'll begin 
in verse 18, Revelation 3, 18, so I advise you, this is the Lord speaking, to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich, and buy white garments. I don't, I don't know how. I know that he tells us in Revelation 19 that the garments that the bride will wear at the wedding feast are the good deeds done by the people of Christ. So one of the ways you can buy white garments is the good deeds done, I believe. He says, so that you won't be ashamed of your nakedness and the ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. See, I correct and I discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. How do you be diligent? How do you turn from the indifference? How do you get out of yourself? Well, you make time. You make room for him. You ask for him to give you a passion that is rightly divided. And then you sacrifice self and you, for, you, for others and you sacrifice time for him. So we look at the handout. I started this last week, but I only got about halfway through and I've modified a little deeper part of this in praying the part that really disturbed me, if you'll turn with me, let's go to Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, I was trying to remember if there's any place in Scripture where Jesus pleaded with his closest confidants, his other disciples, pleaded with them to priest pray and hold him up. I couldn't think of one. Now, there's many times they... He was training them, right? When he fed the 5,000, you feed them. When he taught them, they were with him. So they, they witnessed him doing a lot, right? When he cast out the demon in, in Mark 9 of the little boy that they couldn't do it, he trained them on that. He says, fast and pray. This, some of these only go out by prayer and fasting. But I couldn't remember an event, and I hadn't researched it much, but here's a place where Jesus says, I am so tormented even unto death. Would you please Pray with me. And they didn't. He takes the three of his closest ones. Look at this. And this is where I believe the Lord's saying, I want you to pray with me. Do you remember when Jesus wept over Jerusalem? Remember that? One of the shortest, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He says, because now I know you have turned away and your children will pay the price. He wept over, they, they didn't get it. So here he is, look at Matthew 26. In verse, let's begin. Let's begin in verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. Jesus went with them to the olive grove. Remember, he had just finished washing their feet the Last Supper, he tells Judas, go and do quickly what you're going to do. Judas is in the process of going to the Pharisees and the high priest to betray Jesus. He then walks, if you've been to the upper room in Jerusalem, you come down, there's a, not a long walk, and you come to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Olive Garden there where he often went to pray. So he, he brings the disciples there, and he says this, sit here while I go and I pray. He takes Peter, James, and John. These are the three that had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were the, the inner circle guys. They had witnessed the Father speaking about the Son's identity. Moses and Elijah are there. The cloud overshadows and declares, my son, this is my son. Listen to him. If anyone was close and understood, he's, remember, at this point, Peter has actually revealed you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus pulls them aside and he says, I have become anguished and distressed. My soul is crushed with the grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch for me. Now I would pray that we would respond. He went a little further and he bowed his face to the ground praying, my father, if it's possible, let the cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. 
Then he returns to the disciples and he finds them asleep. He says to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Peter, remember he had warned Peter, Satan desires to sift you, Peter, but I have prayed for you. Then he says in verse 41, the title here is, keep watch and pray. Why? So you'll not give in to the temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them for a second time, and he prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away, unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went and he prayed, third time saying the same thing again. And when he came to the disciples, he said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going, look, my betrayer is here. They missed their opportunity to pray. They missed it. It's no longer, the betrayer's here. There's no longer time for you to pray. Get up and wake up. He's here. And you know what happens. They all betray him. You know the, the prophecy about Peter and his denial. He lies and says, I never knew him. So I believe there's this place of watching and praying, and there's an opportunity that we can miss. I shared it last week. Remember the lantern and the oil? Matthew 26, where, Matthew 25, where the foolish and the wise, and they didn't have extra oil in their lamp. And the question is, do you have extra oil in your lamp? Because even though the scriptures says share everything you got, when it comes down to the time that the groom has arrived, you cannot share your oil. What you got in your lamp is what you got in your lamp. And so there's a place and there's a time, there's an urgency and I believe God is calling his believer family to stand on the wall and fight for him. That's why this made so much sense to me. Brian didn't know I was going to share out of Ezekiel 22. Turn with me, if you will. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. It's a, in fact, if you read this, it's a pretty ugly time in Israel's history. And the prophet Ezekiel has been raised up, but it's, if you look at our cities and some of the things that you see going on right now, Seattle, Chicago, New York, it's any major city, but the sin and the debauchery that's here and the political and spiritual unrighteousness that are listed in this is almost frightening to where we are right now as a nation. And this is what the prophet says. He shares all their their ugliness and their immoral behaviors, the murders, the unrighteousness, the uncleanness, the taking advantage of people, the lying prophecies, those who have fallen away, the priesthood is not, is defiled. And in verse 30, the prophet shares what God was, had in his heart. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. This is the quote from the Lord. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I would not have to destroy the land, but I found no one. God help, God help us. So now I will pour out my fury on them and I'll consume them with the fire of my anger and I will heap on their heads the full penalty of all their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. You say, well, that doesn't sound like a loving father. Hey, righteous, he's a God of justice and he's a God of joy and peace. He's all those things. But there's a point where time is up. standing in the gap, looking for someone who would stand in the gap. So if you look at your handout, we're told, I shared this last week, we're to keep alerted all the time and stay on that high intention of watching, praying. 
But I want you to see, I want to balance this because I know, I know I'm talking to the choir here. Most of, you are the watchers. You are the prayer warriors. You are the warriors. But there's this place. I want us one, I want to give you some grace. There are times when it's okay to pull back and recharge. And so let's look at some of those scriptures. Look at uh, number one there. Jesus often withdrew and prayed. That's in Luke 5. We won't turn there. It says that he wanted to be in a hideaway place, secluded. That's in Mark 1. It's also in Mark 7. But let's, let's look at this one. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark's Gospel 6. And let's begin, I think, in verse 31. Let's begin in verse 30. He had just, they had fed the five, they, they're about to feed the 5,000. So think about this. There's so many miracles. We're in, in Mark 6, we'll begin in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from the ministry tour. So they'd been out. They'd been out doing their kingdom work and told him all that they had done and taught. That's amazing. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and the apostles didn't even have time to eat. Can you imagine that? So much ministry and so many hungry people, they're lined up outside the door. I've told you, there was many, many prophetic words. There'll be a time when the place, they're lined up outside the door and there'll be so many needed ministers on hand to be able to deal with the demonized and the broken and the sick, that we're going to need every hand on deck, ready to go. Well, that's exactly what was going on. They didn't even have time to find a place to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place. They said, let's get in a boat and let's get out of here, right? Where they could be alone. But many people recognized them, saw them leaving, and the people from the towns ran along the shore and got ahead of where they were coming. Jesus saw the crowd. Now, I don't know what was going on inside the boat with the boys, but Jesus saw the crowd and he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late afternoon, the disciples. So can you get a little sense? And maybe the disciples said, you told us we're going to go be alone. And now you've got... 5,000 men plus most, probably 10,000 people there with women, children, and men. And he goes, would you please send them away? Get them out so they, they got to get some lunch and <laughs> dinner. And Jesus says, you feed them. Like, what? So not only are they blown out by the need for the miracle, but they're also probably a little annoyed at all the ministry. Not that that would ever be our case. Hello? The call's at 6.30 in the morning, 11 o'clock at night. There's this place, and I've been busted, you know, where the Lord says, so are you going to share the gospel? Yes, sir, I am. Even though my wife sometimes will give me a face like, 6.30 in the morning. Bing, bing, bing. I'm just reminded we need to work while there's still day, right? Let's, let's look at another scripture. Turn to chapter 7 in verse 24, Mark 7, 24. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know where his house he was going to stay in. So he's hiding out in a house. Don't tell anybody where we're going. But he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman heard about it, came and fell at his feet. His, her little girl, possessed by an evil spirit, and begged him to cast out the demon. I just want you to see, in Jesus' own heart and the disciples, sometimes in the giving, there's a lot of giving. And Jesus was in that place, and there were times he pulled away and searched for quiet. You can look at that. 
He also looked for solitude in that number four there, praying in solitude, but he also prayed in one accord. You're familiar with Acts chapter two. We won't turn there. Remember, the Lord told him in Acts one, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the promise. In a few days hence from now, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit in power, and you become my witnesses, right? Well, shortly thereafter, they're in one accord, 120 of them, and the Lord shows up. So there's a one accord prayer meeting, and there's solitude prayer meetings, and there's quiet time with your Lord, and then there's times where you come together, because he says in number five that he said, when two or three of you come together, I'm here in your midst. If you come together in my name, I'm there in the midst, right? He says, if two or three of you agree. That's why I get excited um, when we have no agenda. The interactive church, it's like, Holy Spirit, come and do, right, Sunday night? And so we just come together and ask the Lord, what's on your heart? Come and share. So one might have a song. One might have a psalm. One might have a testimony. One might want to share something that God is going to do or is planning to do or thinks he's done. And so there's something about coming together in his name that he says, I'm here. We take all the agenda off the table and let's just praise him and ask him to intercede and save our nation. If my people call by my name, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, number six there. So we are to fast and pray. Let's, I want to talk to us, you know, often we, we do a fasting and praying. We usually start the beginning of the year with a fast and we pray. There'll be time, especially with the election coming, well, let's look at, let's turn with me, if you will. Let's look at 1 Timothy. I'll go there for a moment. In 1 Timothy and chapter 2, about prayer, Paul is telling his spiritual son, Timothy, important places of things that he should do in the pastoral epistles here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1. Fast and pray. Fast for our nation. Verse 1, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I urge you, first of all, King James says, I exhort you. That's like, this is important. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Well, I don't know about you, but I... Probably falls short there for everybody. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf, intercession on their behalf, and give thanks for them. This is the question about what do you pray about? What are you in active communication with God about? Is it all about your need list? Which is okay. There are things we need. But are you in active intercession for those who have other needs? Verse 2, he says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Look at verse 8. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Boy, that right there, the church would do a lot better. Get rid of the anger and the controversy and lift up holy hands and pray. Say that again. Verse 8. So, 1 Timothy 2, 1. We urge you to pray, especially for kings and all people, intercession. Verse 8 says, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up, free from anger and controversy. Whew. That's a tough one, intercession, especially when we may not agree with everyone. Fasting and praying. I won't have us turn there, but in Joel chapter, chapter 2, even in fact this morning, Pastor Charles had this, in chapter 2 where it talks about call for a corporate fast, a holy fast, a joint fast together. We've often done that in Joel chapter 2. Call a holy assembly, a group of prayer and fasting together for purposes to ask God to help us. 
In the prayer for our nation there, number six, you, you're very familiar with 2 Chronicles 7:14, where, in fact, in, if you look at Joel 2, it's that crying out between the altar, this place where the priests are calling out for God to come in Joel 2, between the court, the court and the altar, God crying out on behalf of people, interceding for the nation. And this is addressed to the people that are called his people, if my people, not for the ones that are out there that are lawless, that are breaking everything, they don't know anything, they, they, they think they're justified, but they don't know God. We're to pray for them. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2. Peter, just before he's about to be executed, he declares this, which is kind of mind-blowing. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, Let's begin in verse 13, 1 Peter 2, 13. Now remember, Peter's about to be crucified upside down by King Herod the same day that Paul is beheaded. They're in prison. For the Lord's sake, verse 13, respect all human authority. Whether the king as head of state or the officials that he's appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you're free, yet you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. What? This is a different worldly prayer where you pray for those who are way off from what you can see, those who are trying to lead in a way that does not seem godly. That doesn't mean we bow. We will not compromise on the word. When they come out and they declare something that is contrary to the word, we will say, no, go ahead, arrest us. We'll not bow to that. But when we can honor, we will honor. Because if they'll live in if they if we get godly, Proverbs is loaded, if we get godly men and women leading the nation, the people of God are at peace. When we're struggling, we need to pray. Well, does prayer work? Of course you know that does. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. So let's go to the book of Jonah in chapter 3, and then I'll land this thing. So right after Obadiah, Amos Obadiah, before Micah, there's little Jonah, little four chapters of Jonah, four, yeah, four chapters of Jonah. And you're very familiar with this if you've been in Sunday school or whatever, right? The big fish that swallows Jonah. But I want you to see in Jonah chapter 1, let's go there first. Just to set a little history for you, the Assyrians were major enemies of Israel. And Jonah, the, the prophet Jonah, didn't like the Assyrians. In fact, wipe them out, God. They deserve your judgment, right? Remember Sennacherib came and sent around, the, the Assyrians camped around Jerusalem, and he gave all these vile things and I think it was Pastor Terry was telling me this week, didn't he kill like 180,000 Assyrians when in that one night the angel of the Lord came and destroyed them all? And, and so Jonah's like, yeah, do it again, God. Right? Well, that's not God's heart. Look, look at verse, let's start in chapter one, verse one. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Well, you know the story. Jonah says, I'm not doing that. I want you to mess with them and crush them. And, you know, he runs the other way and gets on a boat and gets stuck in a storm and they figure it out and throw him overboard and the big fish swallows him. And he's sitting there being digested for three days with seaweed on his head and he has a change of heart. It's amazing how that works. 
God, I'm in this dark, smelly place, and I'm being digested. I hear you. I'll do whatever you say, right? Then he tells the fish and throws them up on the land. So he goes to Nineveh. And look at chapter 3. The Lord spoke to Jonah, and he got up in verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, like I told you before, right? I have given you, and the time Jonah obeyed his command, and he went to Nineveh, and this is what he does. He starts screaming on the streets, yelling, 40 days from now, you will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast, and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. He doesn't even bring it to the king. He's just shouting in the streets. But look, when the king hears it, verse 6, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took up his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap, sat in a heap of ashes. Does that sound like humility? Then the king and his nobles sent a decree. Not one of you, even your animals and your herds and flocks, will eat or drink anything. There's a fast. People and animals alike, you, I don't know how you do this. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. So what do they dress burlap around their cows? I I mean, this guy is serious. I don't think you have to come in wearing that. I'm just encouraging humility here. People and animals alike, wear these garments of mourning. Everyone must pray earnestly to God that they would turn from their evil ways and stop their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. God changes his mind? Yeah, read on. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, see, they repented and turned, he changed his mind. And he did not carry out his destruction as he had threatened. Of course, Jonah gets all wound up. See, I knew it. You're a God of mercy and grace. You're going to spare them. And then he goes ahead and pouts under the almond. You know, like, ah, wow. We can make fun of him, but I don't know how far some of us are from that. God, take care of these people that are doing all this stuff. They fasted and they wept. I just want us to see that God hears the fervent prayer of the humble, righteous who turn and will save a nation, can save a nation. I'll finish with two scriptures. Turn with me to, to, let's look at uh, Job chapter 12. Right after Esther, Job 12. Let's look at verse 22. If you remember the story of Job, his friends had told him, you must be a sinner. Why is God punishing you? His wife said, you know, curse God and die. You're such a, you're looking really terrible with all your boils and everything. And, and he, he refuses, right, to, to curse God. He, he stays faithful. And it's at this point where Job declares how powerful God is. He's in charge. Verse 32, Job 12, 32. He uncovers mysteries hidden in darkness. Speaking of God, he brings light to the deepest gloom. He builds up nations and destroys them. He expands nations and abandons them. He strips kings of understanding and leaves them wandering in pathless wasteland. They grope in darkness without light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. See, God, we know from Romans 13, he raises up leaders, but he can also put nations down if you look at history. So just turn to the right a little bit, and let's go to the Psalms, just in Psalm 2, the end of Job to Psalm 2. And let's begin in verse 10. Psalm 2, this is a warning to all those in leadership, kings and leaders. Psalm 2, verse 10. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities for his anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all who take refuge 
in him. That's why I get excited when our president declared that national day of prayer, to pray. When he invokes God, we're all God's children, that every child is a gift. When, when, when he's prophetically operating to support Israel, those are things that are, ought to move our heart because those kinds of decisions affect us. They're significant. So pray for him, whether you like him or not. You may not like his personality, um, but pray for him. Pray for the, all those in government. Pray for Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Pray for the, those that are in places of power making decisions and that politics will get out of the way and righteousness will rule and reign. And then please become a prayer warrior, one who watches watch and pray. Let's stand and I want to invite our ministry team if you'll come forward and we're going to pray close we'll wear a mask but if there's anything on your heart first and foremost if you want someone to pray for you to stand in agreement for a particular prayer. Remember if two or three we saw that in Matthew if two or three would agree even says some places touching and agree it shall be done for you. Mark 11, he says, you can command mountains to go into the sea. So I don't know what kind of mountains are before you. Sadness, despair, discouragement, sickness, relationships, employment. I don't know what mountain has got you down. But if you'll agree with someone praying and touching, first forgive any of those that maybe are responsible for your hurt. He says, Matthew 11, Mark 11, you can look at it. You can command, you speak to the mountain, but first pray in Jesus' name and then forgive. Those are the conditions about moving the mountains. But we all have to be in a place with Jesus first. He's the, he is the head of the church. So if you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've gotten wound up and gotten We've wandered off and you just need a place to, this would be a really good time to rededicate your life with one of our ministers and just come and we know God's not angry. He's a God of long suffering, but there is a time coming when the door will be shut. We don't know how far off it is. We don't know the day or the hour, but the season is closing. And whether he comes for us in the clouds of glory on that great second coming or he comes when our life is ended. Either way, the outcome can be the same if we're not in his close proximity of love and joy and peace and goodness, kindness. So, Lord, I thank you this morning as, Lord, I lift up this nation. I thank you for the privilege of being in this nation. I've, it really is a wonderful place. People may not like it. I don't understand that. I People try to get here. They try to sneak in here because it's, it's a place. Maybe they're attracted to the prosperity. I, I don't know. All I know is I love this nation. I love what you've done and you've blessed it. And the, there's a, there is a strong heritage. Not perfect for sure. Slavery was awful. The injustices are real. They have to be undone. They have to be outdone by the blood of the lamb. But we're privileged to be here. I've been in nations. I've been in I don't, man, I can't tell you how many nations I've been in. It's, there's no place like this place. I'm asking you, Lord, to give us an opportunity again to be a light on a hill, to be a, a strong beacon place, sending out missionaries to the places of the earth, blessing the nation, standing for righteousness, coming against injustice. So, Lord, I ask you to raise up an army as we... See the, the drawing that Brian did. There's, it's the Ephesians warriors. It's the prayer warriors standing fully armed and dangerous in face of the enemy saying, this is our land. This is our land. And you're not going to, you, you, you want to try to take this land, it's, you're going to have a fight in the spirit because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness that are in the high places. And the weapons that we fight with, they're not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds. 
So Lord, as you expose the evils, when you pull back the veil, Lord, I ask for your righteousness to continue to rise in the land. Would you change our hearts, Lord? We, we want the joy of the Lord to be our strength. Yes, we see trying times, but we're not any different from all those who have been through trying times historically. And the joy of the Lord will continue to be our strength. And we thank you now in Jesus' name.